Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Most people only see their doctor a few days each year. For all the other days, there's CVS Health Hub, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab the essentials you need in just one trip, even on evenings and weekends, for care between doctor visits, from earaches to help with diabetes or sleep apnea. Visit your local CVS Health Hub today. That's healthier, made easier. Services vary by location. See cvs.com slash health hub for details. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. 
All right, it's film study for week two as we look back at the offense. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm excited for you uh, to get into this game because I'm amazed how many people are disappointed from a 33-point win. Yeah, people have just ridiculous expectations of this team. If a 33-16 to 16 win at Houston is insufficient, Jeremy, who's joining us tonight, Jeremy Kahn, welcome. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. You're a gambling man of of some note. Yeah. And uh, how frequent is a 17-point favorite occur in the NFL these days? Not, hardly ever. I mean, th there will be times where you have the best team in the league playing the worst team, and we've seen it where in years past, maybe the Patriots over the Dolphins, it would, it would still be right around 15-and-a-half, 16-and-a-half. Every once in a while, you'll see one that high, but they usually has to do with a bad team losing their starting quarterback or all kinds of wholesale changes. Okay, so at least from a gambling perspective, never be upset by a 17-point win. Fair enough? Negative. Uh, yeah, you, you're always going to love that. That's that's usually meaning you're covering if you're taking the, the favorite. So, yeah, 17 is always good. That's what I was looking for. So, you know, I wanted to ask you about something else because because of your background here and, and, your, uh, and your love of uh, putting a few bucks on a game. Uh, it, how do you adjust for road and home? season like this with covid and the crazy some people have fans some people don't what do you do you know what it's odd because i almost feel like we have to wait for data right like we have to and i don't <laughs> even know if that's really going to help because i've over the past few years i've really started looking at things from an analytical way and starting to dive more into that and trying to learn more about it the new statistics and all that thing all the things that come into play um and i use that to help me when i'm gambling and um, I look at weather data for baseball, which I think is so important and people don't think about it. And in football, there's all kinds of matchups, um, you know, teams running a zone as opposed to a man to man, the different looks you're going to get. And I, I think there's a lot of things that factor into it. And home field advantage is one that I love to look at because I think some people dismiss it all the time. So yeah, I'm looking at some of the teams that are piping in crowd noise and trying to go, is, is that really affecting them? Because I can still hear the players you know, on an open mic anywhere. So, um, yeah, it, 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 I'm not quite sure yet. I'm trying not to let it uh, let it affect me the way I do things and just keep rolling with it. But uh, we'll see what the data says in a couple of weeks. There you go. And the, the, those parabolic mics on the huddle in particular is somewhat disconcerting. I, I specifically do not want to hear from either huddle because I know it'll come out of the Ravens huddle eventually, um, the jargon directly that Lamar Jackson is calling off the wristband. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to hear that, um, and I definitely don't want Bill Belichick hearing it. No, I mean he probably got some little chart in his room writing down every word. <laughs> right, but you guys are missing the fact that whether it's broadcast or not, Bill Belichick's recording it. He probably is. Yes, <laughs> I did like hearing Justin Tucker get picked up on that mic. Or yeah, yeah, a little sleeping got it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good now, stuff. Now, Ken, you just jumped right in and didn't, didn't introduce Jeremy. I assume everyone who listens to this show knows who Jeremy Khan is, because, Jeremy, you've been on 105.7 forever. Yeah, I mean, um, I've been doing radio in Baltimore for 20 years, and I've been over there for almost 15. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and it's taken you way too long uh, for us to get you over here on Film Study. Ken, I was telling Jeremy before the show, we had him on episode 10 of Section 336. Wow. So that was like seven and a half years ago. So I couldn't find the recording. I looked for it yesterday, and thankfully it is gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh, I can say you've been way ahead in terms of your ability to get great guests 
uh, over the years. So, uh, you know, thanks for the, for all you've added to this, but you know, your own podcast in terms of the guests you can get, you're always getting players, you know, wh- whoever, uh, whoever you really need to get. Uh, I don't know how, but every now and then a player says yes. So, but, uh, but yeah, why don't you guys, why don't we get into this game? And, uh, I mean, this convincing win by the Ravens. Yeah, kind of a kind of a uh, a formula win when I look at it, Jeremy, in terms of a win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, which they hadn't done uh, in 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 week one against Cleveland. At least in my my mind, they lost it on both sides of the ball and won it by the play of the quarterbacks, Jackson Good, Mayfield Bad. Um, uh, but this week, uh, a different. They're back to winning the winning the snap count and winning on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I talked about it afterwards saying it felt like an odd game to me. It felt like two different, you know, you ever watch a movie where there's two different hats? Like, you're like, man, it felt like I watched two separate movies. And it, it felt that way watching that game. Um, I love some of the looks that we got to see. I was a little puzzled by uh, some things that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. But, you know, and maybe I'm too hard on them as well. And I think fans are starting to get a little spoiled because you expect a ton. Not every week's going to be a blowout. I think the Texans still have a chance to be a good team and make the playoffs. Although the schedule, the, the you know the scheduling gods did not help them out any. They got the Steelers this week, mm-hmm. so I, I just think it was a good game played all around. And I, I really don't have a lot. I could sit here and nitpick a couple of things, and I'm sure they're doing that behind closed doors. But uh, it was a good win. Yeah, uh, definitely, uh, definitely was. We usually start with the OL scoring on the on the offensive line uh, show. So if that's okay, let's talk about that. And I'm going to go through a player at a time, kind of give my thoughts, and then. Uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about their play. If you saw anything you want, you know, jump in when you like, and uh, you know, usually you, you raise a finger. I'll make sure I I'm uh, I, I see you on on screen there and and slow down when it's appropriate. Particularly if there's clarification that you don't think I'm uh, I, if I don't think I'm being clear on things, Jeremy. Okay. So Ronnie Stanley uh, uh, first, uh, 62 offensive snaps for the Ravens, um, and that uh, takes out those three kneels at the end. Uh, made 57 blocks. Uh, I did charge him with two thirds of a sack that I think PFF has let him off the hook for, but uh, uh, that came late in the first half. Uh, he allowed pressure that caused the pocket to be flushed first. Phillips was loitering in the pocket. As I said, he had kind of drifted back without uh, providing a block to anyone. So he got a portion of it too. And Brown had actually made a very good 12 to six block on the, um, uh, on Watt on the play, which normally would have been enough to get him out of the play and give, give Jackson a full three seconds. But I also gave him a sixth of the, of the sack on that one because he had done it by by potentially impinging that back pylon of the pocket, as I like to call it, when, when he's trying to direct that pass rusher all the way around. Um, but I think most people did not blame Stanley primarily for that one, and honestly, that's the way I saw it. Three plays from the end of the half there. Um, on that play, only serious charge for Stanley in this game. Uh, he uh, got a B otherwise in total for the game uh, and made three level two blocks, a couple of pancakes, uh, had a really nice highlight block um, uh, that I liked on a combination. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, just a solid game for Stanley. Maybe not quite up to his normal level, but, uh, but a hell of a game. Nothing to concern you uh, coming off that injury, anything like that? You know, he is a freaking warrior is all I can say. First of all, you know, we you probably saw the tweet during the week where he's getting out of the coffin. Did you see yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. How cool is that? That you have, <laughs> you know, someone engaged with a local fan base like that, that would give you that kind of a undertaker look coming, at, coming back from the dead. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I always, 
issue either expletives or a very high-pitched scream when I see someone go down, like we saw Tavon, unfortunately, this last week. But also, Stanley in this game went down at one point, and I thought, wow, you know, he got rolled again. You know, is this is this more serious? And uh, and unbelievably, he's in there for the next play on their next drive. Yeah, and you know, I, I think you you nailed it because he has been a warrior and uh, one of those guys too that you're you can rely on, you can trust every single time he goes out there. And it's nice knowing you have that because when you look at the team that just played the Texans, they for so long were worried about it. They go out and find their guy and then, of course, um, end up trading away DeAndre Hopkins. And I know I'm getting totally off topic, but he's only had, what, 24 catches the first two weeks? Yeah. (laughs) By the way, tangential storing on the storytelling on this show is greatly encouraged go off in whatever direction you want you know i have these shorts and we start talking about the pass rush and all of a sudden we're talking about the tight ends or something i mean it's just weird but but you know what what i'm saying is like you when you when you have your left tackle and and you have nothing to worry about over there Mm -hmm. you're very confident and some teams uh when they're trying to get depth there or like you know or move a guy to right tackle it's always nice to have that guy that you can trust to go in there if something should go awry but you know, I've heard people talk about Ronnie Stanley saying, are they going to be able to afford him? Can they keep him? And saying, well, Lamar's so fast back there. He doesn't need a great offensive line. <laughs> well, if you want to keep that guy fresh and healthy, you're going to need a great offensive line in front of him. And I think yeah. the two go hand in hand. Yeah, I, I think I think they can't afford not to have Stanley. So they think they're going to have to have to figure out how to make that work. Right now, I mean, obviously the Ravens have no other choices there. I guess they could draft someone else. But uh, Will Holden may well be the best choice to go in at left tackle. And that's a guy who's been released by seven different teams a total of eight times in a you know four-year career. So uh, it's it's not a lot to rely on. But they're protecting him now in the practice squad. I don't know if you saw this these last two weeks. Yep. All right, let's move on. Bozeman has been terrific these first two weeks. Uh, he, uh, played well again. Um, he missed four blocks. None of his four misses, and this is also true of none of Stanley's three misses, were losses at the line of scrimmage. And that's a distinction I make, even though the score is the same, because it's better to, say, move to level two and not make a block or pull and not make a block than it is to get beaten at the line of scrimmage on a play where the ball was out quickly. So there's a differentiation that I make there, but he didn't have any losses at the line of scrimmage this week that were just misses. He had two half-pressure events but otherwise was at .87 per play with a minimal adjustment this week because I don't think, frankly, the Texans' defensive line is very good on that side. He got an A-, minus, uh, made six of eight pulls, uh, four blocks in level two, two pancakes. That's nice. And he had two highlights that were both different, but the one I really loved, got out in front of that screen pass and put a helmet-to-helmet shot on Eric Murray, the safety, I thought was pretty hot. Well, it's nice to see plays like that. You know, when you think about this fan base has been screaming for screen passes for so long and, and having athletic linemen that can get out and help you out in that fashion. Yeah, it's, it, and the Ravens have been – it's been some of what's been lacking since the days of, of Grubbs and Burke and Yonda together was the ability to get out in front of those plays. And Matt Skura, frankly, on that same play looked very slow to me. It looked like he did not. He was not able to keep up with the play, even if he had gotten in front of it. He actually stayed in and tried to impact the play behind, uh, behind the play by making a block rather than try and get out in front of it, which is odd for a screen pass for a center. But uh, but he, that's the one issue I have with him. Skura otherwise had a great comeback game this week. Graded an F last week by my system. Uh, had a lot had some issues with uh, you know getting beaten and anchoring um, to either side, but this week anchoring was not an issue. Half a pressure looked very good in 
terms of maneuvering around in the pocket and getting rushers past Lamar uh, when they did get a tiny bit of penetration. Uh, missed only two blocks on the day. Uh, a overall, four blocks in level two and and um, one for one on poles. He had zero. Those are mobility blocks, as I call them. He had zero of those in week one, so that was an issue. Uh, two pancakes this week. He does not get a lot of pancakes, so that was nice. And a highlight block as well. Really great to see him come back because the Ravens need a nice, stable force in the middle of that line. See, I love this because I think, you know, we all as fantasy football fans and football fans in general like to look at statistics. These are the guys that never get their name mentioned unless they do something wrong. So I love hearing you kind of break it down and talk about how many pancakes, how many blocks, uh, getting to the second level, which that's so important for big playability mm -hmm. um, and having those linemen get there. So I, I think it's great what you're doing. We, we had Matt on the show last year, and one of the things that I think, you know, the PFF, frankly, doesn't capture is they don't capture it well when the player is left behind on a double team. So the Ravens have all these double teams, of course, they run in the middle of their offensive line to open up their run game with the time that the mesh allows, that additional fraction of a section they get, second they get to have the mesh allow those double teams to take an extra step, get somebody off their pins, get that uh, guard moving up to level two or the center moving up to level two. But oftentimes, the, the, depending on the defensive front or depending on the way the guys are lined up, uh, Skuro will be the guy who's left behind on the double team. I think that's often not very well captured by other systems. And, and I really love that. I, I think that's one of the things he does very well is the guy's off his pins a little bit. He knows when to either try and finish him or try and hold him in place, which is often just as valuable. And uh, and uh, I really, I've really enjoyed that about Matt. Matt uh, scores better in my system than he does, I think, for PFF most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I love PFF as well. You know, looking at the different um, numbers out there to kind of grade out some of these guys who's done well, and and some people will refute things that PFF's doing. I mean, there's going to be a difference of opinion, especially when it comes to numbers sometimes. But um, yeah, the matchup charts and all the other stuff that they've been using, I check that every every Sunday to see. Uh, um, and it's funny now to keep looking the the following week to see how accurate they are, and then on top of it, their grades uh, once it comes out as well, just like you're doing. Yeah, you only get one um, reference point, really, that gives you all the individual players uh, on a consistent basis across the field. And they definitely do that very well, is trying to grade these guys consistently across the league. So, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of PFF as well. I just there, we have some differences in the, in the system that we've been talking about for years since I, I first knew those guys. So uh, uh, we have <laughs> we have some differences of opinion there. I don't need to go over them every time. Tyree Phillips, let's move on here a little bit, um, uh, had a very difficult second game. So he was, I thought, showed a lot of promise in week one. He graded out as a C-. minus. That's where a lot of uh, fine offensive linemen, most notably Orlando Brown recently, uh, Bozeman also have started out. But uh, he had an F in, in this second week and include, included contributions to three sacks, um, he had that one sixth I mentioned when he was just loitering around the pocket uh, uh, in, in a way that didn't let Lamar escape. He had a two thirds and a one as well in this game, uh, which are bad ones, including getting uh, steamrolled by, I think it was Omenahu, right? For the for the one sack. Yeah. yeah. Old then shed by Omenahu. Um, and uh, ended up with a, it, it's not a disastrous F it's four points below the, the D minus. And there's a lots of gradations of F you can go really far down into the James Hurst for this versus the Chargers kind of F range, or you can you can be just short of the mark, and that's where uh, Tyree ended up this game. 
Yeah. What? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say because you know people are killing him, and it's still early. I think you got to give a guy time before you really start trying to assess who he is, especially for the younger players. Um, I think he's thrust into a, a really difficult situation. Week one, I didn't get to um, you know talk to you about that, but I thought he played better than what I expected. But maybe the score is indicative when you're looking at things, and I know how you reevaluate. Um, this past week, there were some rough spots and some things that he needs to work on. Yeah, he he. Uh... Uh, I think he did play quite well, and and the line around him was crumbling. Orlando Brown had a terrible game. Skur had a terrible game. So you know, for him to have a C minus in the middle, that actually is pretty good, I think. And and the thing that was really great in the first week was he pulled seven times, hit on all seven, which is which is unusual. And it's been one of the questions we've had about him is you know this guy's an offensive tackle, kind of not great f- enough feet to be a tackle, but it looked like he still had the mobility to to be a guard. He also had. Three or four blocks in level two it was a it was a reasonable number, which all put together was a really positive mobility sign in week one. Zero blocks in level two this week and zero for one on poles. So we have to take a step back from that and and uh, and hopefully look at two weeks of data and say, hey, he's still seven for eight, you know, and and uh, and we're pretty happy with that. But there's there's plenty to work on for Tyree, and and I would say at least physically, it looks like most of what's necessary is there. So it's, it's technique, it's moving to guard. It's doing a lot of the things, no preseason for him. I can make tons of excuses for him, but I do think there's a little bit of a difference between excuses and actual reasons. You know, I mean, I I think they're legitimate points to be making. Uh, This is a different season, not having any preseason games where maybe he would have gotten more reps. That's footwork. That's, you know, the, the guys you're playing alongside, I, I think all that stuff's important because for any unit, you know, we can talk about timing with quarterbacks and receivers, but the offensive line to block is one. It's, you know, we can sit here and grade them individually, but the bottom line is you need them all doing their job at the same time. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I want to give them a little bit of time before I start, you know, saying, oh, he's this or that, or, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take a while. Right. I, absolutely. And and if we look at Bozeman last year, Bozeman looked like he was in big trouble in terms of losing his job going into the Seattle game. Uh, he had given up you know, three sacks and change. He'd been penalized, you know, but then he turned it around in that Seattle game and he was very, very solid the rest of the year. So um, you know, there's no reason to believe Tyree can't turn it around at some point this year. And, and I'm still optimistic about uh, what he brings. The Ravens obviously love him. I mean, they really did not economically draft Tyree Phillips to take him at 106, I believe it was, uh, they could have had him lower. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, it's a, it, they obviously love him. Uh, same thing probably goes for DuVernay as well, that they could have had him a little lower. And, and uh, it's just, um, they obviously had their guys they really liked that they thought were maybe a little bit misevaluated. I'm fine with that in round three. The thing that interested me about this last draft was part of the reason the Ravens ended up getting Patrick Queen at 28 was that the 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 Raiders really started the ball rolling at number nineteen by taking who's the guy Arnett, um, uh, which, which was a, just a complete. Oh, you mean their second pick because they took rugs with yeah. Yeah, they they took rugs, but at number nineteen they took I think it's Arnett. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, he played last night. Yeah, let, let me take a real quick look here because I yeah it's Damon Arnett the cornerback, and so so it was a it was a weird pick that nobody else would have had him in the top thirty probably. And if they wanted him, you know, they probably should have traded down. But, you know, what do you got to do? I think so many of those teams are worried about being burned. I, I remember when it happened to, I think it was the Broncos, they traded back. Or no, the Patriots traded back. And then the Broncos traded in front of them and took the tight end that they wanted. Um, <laughs> I'm blanking on the guy's name. but it was Not just, Noah Fant or somebody else? No, no, no. This was years ago. I'm talking okay. like maybe 
12 or 13 years ago. I'd have to go back and look at it. I want to say it was a tight end out of Colorado, but it was just funny the way it worked because all the announcers are going, this is who they want. And they know they can get them later. They trade back whoop, right up in front of them. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of does peg it that way. You know, you, you're you're trading for economy. Last year, they they took Cleveland Farrell at the fourth pick, and a lot of people thought he should have been around number 12, 13, 15, kind of in that range. And, you know, it, what what uh, Mayock said was he tried to trade the pick, but there weren't any takers. And my answer is there's always a taker at the wrong price. Yeah. And, and and this is a price where go ahead and take half the value if you need to. To to trade down. If you get 400 points back on that, which might be the equivalent of a you know a low second round pick, high third round pick, that's still a, a you know a great value there. Yeah, I, you know, and I agree with you. Um, it, to me, it's all about value and, and finding the right players. I understand, like in years past, I'd be screaming at the television whether it's the Jets, the Bills, the Raiders are a team that always do it. They mm-hmm. go after whatever prototypical player they want. I remember the we had a couple years ago where the Bills drafted two guys in the first round. And everybody was going, what in the heck's going on? I think one was McCargo from NC State, a defensive tackle. I don't even know if he's in the league anymore. And, you know, we see that quite a bit where there, there's nothing wrong with taking your guy. And I think Mike Mayock, even now with the Raiders, is still going to do that, where he ends up taking um, some surprise players where we're going, I thought he was the fourth best receiver, not the first, you know? Yeah. 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 There you go. So a couple in the last two years for sure. Um what else do I have to say about the offensive line? Uh, I, oh, I'm sorry. We didn't go to Orlando Brown yet, did we? No. So Orlando Brown uh, I gave up one and a sixth sack, as I have it. So I I, uh, I think that's a little bit better than some other groups have him scored. But uh, .84 per play. Most of that was against J.J. Watt, of course, on the day. So he gets a fairly substantial adjustment for an A there. What I really loved about his game, some of this has shown up on the Ravens video today, is he had seven blocks in level two. Uh, really progressed well, missed only one block, which is very hard to do at right tackle to to avoid missed blocks when the runs go to the opposite side. So uh, you're often put in a position where you, where it's very difficult to make a block. I uh, had two pancakes and, and two nice highlights um, in this game that I like. So a, a real positive game. Uh, he did not score well in week one, got a D minus. So for him to come back with an A in week two is is very welcome news as well. So great grades across the line really yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a you know a few weeks down the line how some of these grades look and how these guys are stacking up again you know we can go back to all the reps they had in practice some of it may not be actually getting those game reps in preseason and um and maybe that's excuses though if we're you know if we go back and look at it and they're still struggling but um I, i'm kind of i'm interested to see just how this group plays together and if we get to see you know for once and all like this team make that push because you know, talking about being a gambling man, I'm not going to lie. I put a few bucks on the Ravens this year, and, and I and I feel really good about it, knock on wood, barring any injuries. What kind of a price did you get this year? So I got them, um, I want to say it was like six or no, seven to one, I think. Okay. So it's either, it might be like six and a half to one technically. Okay. Um, but uh, I got them, and then I also – well, I was doing some baseball ones, but I, I also started looking at some other teams that I thought could make a run. Uh, initially, at the beginning of the year, I liked the Colts. I don't, after seeing them for two weeks, I don't like them that much. I, huh. I really think it's two teams in the AFC unless something happens. And uh, in the NFC, I think it's a little bit more wide open. Um, but it'd be interesting to see, you know, if Arizona or any of these other teams kind of put it together. But I always look for good odds, too. If I think there's value, like, um, I, I put a wager on the Utah Jazz when they made their big trade in the offseason. I hit it quick, and there was just it was like thirty five to one, so I couldn't pass it up. Um, 
but it turned out to be a bust, of course. But it's you know, they, if the odds are good, I'll, I'll take the chance with it. All right. Uh, do you do you have any particular source you lose, like Odds Checker or whatever, to look across multiple books online? Um, no, I, I mean I I have a couple of things that I I've checked like that, like Odds Checker. I, I kind of have the the sites that I use now, um, but I do watch those. Um, like you know, I use Scores and Odds and WagerLine.com for years. Um, but I would go back and just try to look at all the line movements. So I have some stuff saved and some websites that help me out there. Okay. All right. That's cool. That's cool. I'd love to talk to you more about that another time. Yeah. Um, Patrick McCary in for two plays in this game, two jumbo formations. I think most people caught the really nice seal block he had on Ingram's 30-yard scamper for the touchdown. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are people questioning whether or not he should be replacing Skura. One thing I saw a lot of on Twitter, a lot of on Reddit, a lot of other places, they've got to make changes. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, this, this week was terrible again. They allowed four sacks. And I think I went into this with that impression. I, I you know, be honest, I, you know, watching a game is very difficult for me to immediately approximate scores. I really have to score it block by block to get there. And I thought, wow, that four sack game, they looked like they were a mess for part of it. And I saw what happened in the second half. They were running the ball effectively, but I did not think the grades would be nearly as good as they were. Yeah, it's it's funny that it comes out that way because it kind of goes back to what we were t- what I said in the beginning that it felt like two different games to me when I was watching it. Where I'm questioning a lot of things, I'm looking at it, saying, "Well, the offensive line doesn't look good," and then they come out and they run the ball successfully in the second half, and it was another dominating performance. Where I feel like some fans are going, "Eh, you know, they could play better." Now you have the Chiefs coming to town, and you know everybody's amped up for that. So it'll be a nice little litmus test this week. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait for Monday night. I, I don't know about you, but uh, how about Lamar? What did you see from him in this game that, that you were either happy with or unhappy with? Um, it, it's really, I mean, there's a couple times to speak of being unhappy with, um, you know, where I, I still look at it going, all right, I'd like to see him do this, get down here, get out of bounds, but it's hard to argue with it because he's so good. But in this game specifically, I know it's part of the makeup there, but he it looked like he eluded J.J. Watt, and I thought he could have run to the outside and at least tried to make something happen with his feet. But it's that quarterback mentality where he wants to stay up, and he came back into that sack from Watt after I felt like he eluded him. I think I'm, was it the first one? Um, is that the first one of the game? Okay, so there was a – let me go back to the – yeah, it could be. The sack minus four on the, on the second drive, first play. Yeah. Okay. That sounds about right. Um, but anyway, so he went back into it and, um, you know, I, I'd like to see some more, you know, like less of that. I still like, uh, you know, and talking about Lamar, I still like the fact that, he, you know, we're seeing him get better as a thrower of the football. He's, um, you know, he, it, it's interesting to see some of the tosses where people will sit here and talk about, you know, some of the, uh, the throws he would make to the outside or that he's throwing up jump balls. I think he's purposely putting the ball in certain places. Um, you know, and you're seeing that with some of the throws to Andrews and even on the inside to the receivers. Yeah, it's, you know, what was funny about this game was he had 50% ample time and space, which is very high in today's game. The, 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 the manufacturer of quick pressures has gone way up since I started keeping that statistic, uh, which, which is intended to reflect a three-second pocket with room to step into the throw, which is a tremendous amount of time in today's game. And to have 50%, well, Mayfield had 44% last week. Jackson in week one had 15% ample time and space. And he had a 152 rating. Now he has a 50% ample time and space in week two. 
and he has only a 113.9 rating, only a 113.9. I thought he did leave some yards on the field. He probably left some opportunities on the field in terms of throwing the ball down the field, uh, you know, pushing and pushing some deeper throws uh, in a game where he had this much time. Yeah, and sorry for my rambling as my battery almost died. Ken was probably wondering. I'm running around my house trying to make sure <laughs> not going to die on me in the middle of this, so my apologies. But, yes, I, you know, and just watching him, I, I love seeing his growth. Um, not only is just a quarterback, but a football player. I, I think there are times he takes hits, and he wants everybody to see that he's the first one back on his feet, like he's not hurt. Um, and I think the leadership qualities are there. It's just it's a lot of fun watching these guys kind of grow together after the first game, you know, hearing the announcers talk about how the Ravens have 45 homegrown players. And, and I think part of that is building a huge rapport, um, not only in the locker room, but it, I think that translates out on the football field as well. Yeah, Jeremy, you may not have heard this or not, but that's from an OTC article. And they have 45 homegrown players, which is the most in the NFL. They also have 38 of their homegrown players are on other teams' rosters, which is also the most in the NFL. Which is unbelievable. So they have they have eighty three total. The Patriots have seventy four between the two, and no other team has as many as seventy. So uh, the Ravens, in terms of developing personnel for this league, and thanks to the Jets in part, uh, have a tremendous number of tremendous influence on the personnel in the league. I mean, it's unbelievable, and that's how good they are, and that's why they're always forced to make these tough decisions over who to pay um, or who do you let walk. And people, are like, I can't believe they didn't sign him. It's like. You can't re-sign every single person. No, you can't. And and it's the much better position to be in, to be forced into those tough choices, than to be in the position of, of a weak team that only has one guy who could even be the franchise player, and then maybe you sign a guy you really wish you hadn't. Yeah. And so it's it's uh, it's nice to be able to choose from a couple. You have to let two guys walk. Well, that's the way it goes. You know, They let Pernell McPhee walk at one point. I was devastated by that uh, to, to, to agree. But, but, you know, McPhee ended up being a guy who, who – didn't really stay healthy for all that second contract. And you understand it just, it's not going to be everybody. You have to, you have to let some of those guys go. That's the hard part about this business. I mean, you know, the life expectancy of a guy in the, in the NFL, meaning, you know, how long he plays for, it's barely three years. Uh, right. So, you know, and these guys got to play for five years to get their pension. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but, you know, just seeing the fact that you, you got to make these tough decisions over who you're going to keep. You're right. It's a great problem to have. It does suck saying goodbye to some of the players that you fell in love with or that you thought were really good. Um, and then sometimes you, you see that they were really good in your system and they end up coming back home. Yeah. yeah there you go. Uh, let's go back to, to Lamar for a second. One of the things that really dropped in this second game here was the average air yards. And 10.3 led the entire NFL in week one. So he, he was pushing the ball downfield. I think he had nine of 10 completions of either 15 or more or 20 or more yards. No, it might've been, might've been 15 or more yards. They were deep passes uh, in week one that contributed to that 10.3 air yards per completion. But 5.3 is also indicative of more screen passes. You know, the, the teams that throw a lot of those uh, tend to have the saints and, and the chiefs to a lesser degree have less air yards um, because they're throwing some of those passes. Yeah, and that's always the same thing. You're hitting the home runs. It's going to increase those numbers as well. But um, that's why you'll see it. And, and that's why I always find it funny, and this is totally off topic, but was listening to people try to compare receivers and saying, well, uh, this guy's better because he averaged 18 yards a catch, and this guy only averaged 11.8. And I'm going, you do understand they're two totally different types of receivers. And you talking about the numbers going down, if you're going to start throwing some of those screen passes, 
it's just it's math. It's going to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. We want to want to see good yak on those plays. I, I, I was I was so impressed with the uh, with the running backs in this game. We're going to get to that in a, in a few minutes here. But uh, uh, you know, in terms of Lamar, um, the time was there for some more verticals. Is there a play that you'd like to talk about that you really like from Lamar in this game? I've got plays that I like, but we can do this. We can not. But if you if you have one, you, what you want to refer to, we can certainly discuss that. Um, you know, I, I did like the throw, well, the throw to Andrews, but the one thing I want to say, not, not a play specifically, it's just watching his vision. You know, mm-hmm. they, this past week in the NFL, uh, they were kind of highlighting, they highlighted Cam on Sunday Night Football, where he looked at his receiver and he stared the guy down and he knew where he was going pre-snap. For me, when I watch Lamar, I see a guy that, yeah, he knows where he wants to go pre-snap but he's going to find the best read and he's not just going to force it in there where you see that from a lot of younger quarterbacks, but I, the progressions that he goes through. And, and now it's kind of funny because I think more and more of the, the, the national audience is starting to, to figure that out at how intelligent he is back there. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I did like the decision-making for the most part, um, but uh, not, there wasn't a specific play. I know you have a couple that, that stood out to me that I went, I mean, I, I think I'm getting accustomed to him just making really good throws all the time now. Right. I, I've, I, I like, I, I always love extended plays, but I really love the throws to DuVernay uh, on the crossing route. First of all, thrilled to get DuVernay and I'm sorry, say again. Was that a third down? Uh, now I have to look back and see oh, exactly where it was. Notes. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be harder for me to find this. Right. It was a first, it was definitely a first down on the play. And I think it might've been a gain of 18 and I'm trying to find it here. Now right. it might've been the gain of 19. I think it was a first down play in Q2. Okay. Yeah, I, I love, you know, the fact that we're seeing everybody get involved. Okay, you're seeing that you don't – like we were talking about this on our post-game show where uh, Belichick wants to come in and take away what you do best. And you see the way the Ravens run the football. You see the way they throw the football. There's not a singular guy you're going to take away. You take away Mark Andrews, you know, you, you've got Hollywood. The same way if you look at Kansas City, you take away Kelsey, they've got Tyreek. And um, I, I think there's a lot of similarities there. So I, I love seeing the fact that they spread the ball around and everybody gets a little bit of the ball. Yeah, they were, they're very adaptable these first two weeks. I think you just hit on some of this, but I just want to reinforce it a little bit. The Browns really played a very tight box against Lamar and said, throw to beat me. And he, and he did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they got the pressure they wanted. They, they moved him around the pocket, but Lamar very facile in terms of moving up or moving right. Uh, to make space for himself and uh, and was able to get, you know, consistently get good throws off on the move. We talked about this a little bit on last week's show, but it sometimes seemed to you that Lamar is better when he's forced into a little bit of consternation over his throw as opposed to has a completely clean window to throw to. Yeah, I mean, that's probably what he's been doing his whole life, though. So when your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only, excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Maybe he's more, not, not to say he doesn't get a clean pocket, 
but with a guy that has that much giddy up and movement in the back that he is able to create those plays. If you're looking for the bigger play, not just taking what's in front of you. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can see that from time to time, but I, I do think when it comes to him, um, you know, even when we go back last year, and I know we've already thrown out those numbers plenty of times, he led the league in touchdown passes, but also from inside the pocket. That's where I think the growth is because watching him in college, I thought he was a phenomenal athlete. Um, I didn't think he was going to be this at this level. I didn't necessarily think he was going to be a bust, but I was one of those guys going, there's so many different directions the Ravens could go in. Why this guy? And the one thing that stands out is his drive. And I feel like that's something that he's going to continue to get better at, uh, whether it be just in the pocket or even on those rollouts. And, and, and being accurate on those throws is incredibly difficult. It, it really is. And that's why it shocks me, because there's been rollouts where he's um, had a very clean throw to make to an open receiver. And it seems like those are the ones he comes up short on. Uh, you know, he tries Bruce Arians used to say he tries to hand him the football. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just weird that he short arms those throws, but if he's on the run, it's, it's right on the money, you know, <laughs> how can you stop it? But the uh, you deep know, ball too, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying the deep balls have been, it's impressive that these guys have an opportunity to make those catches, um, you know, and, and being around there being like, e even allowing, we, we know Hollywood's fast, but I still think, you know, leading him open. Uh, he had a couple of throws to Boykin that I, I thought he was, throwing him to where he wanted him to go, which that's the next step in progression, at least in my mind, for a quarterback is starting to put the ball. You know, if you're going to throw that screen pass, you want to get it to him in a position where he can catch it and run or the slant, stay in motion, not have to reach back, get it, slow down, turn, and now, you know, diagnose what's in front of you. And, and I think he's getting it better in all facets of the game. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly loving that part. If we, if we talk about the run game here from Lamar for a second, uh, not his best run game, 3.4 yards uh, per run, and, and it, was a, it was a low number on scrambles. It was a low number on designed runs, so it wasn't one or the other altogether. But what's interesting is the Ravens really went back to their uh, zone read game tremendously in this, and the running backs had a fabulous day, 8.4 yards per carry for the running backs in this game. Yeah, late in the game, it didn't look like they wanted to tackle Gus. I mean, and that's <laughs> what he brings to the table, that he's such a bruiser. Um, but all these guys, I I don't know why when you're – and I understand, like, there's this whole thought process. Uh, it's third and short. They think we're going to run it. We should throw it because they're not expecting it. What the Ravens do unbelievably well is run the football. The Steelers, if they end up with the number one run defense, come in, run the football down your throat. I don't think they can stop them. Um, and, and I just, you know, watching them, I don't want them to get away from it. I'm fine. Put those wrinkles in it, get cute, do some other things, but playoff time rolls around or in these big games like Monday night, run the ball, go out and do what you do best. Yeah. Well, it'll, it'll be, uh, it'll be fun to see if they'll stick with that. Uh, you know, they're right now they're on such a roll and they really should take whatever the defense is giving them because, you know, one thing about the Ravens offense is they need to put pressure on every square inch of that field that they can attack. It's the way the Ravens offense is best. And whether they're going to end up running the football or end up passing the football, you know, putting pressure on the outside of the field, all the speed they have and all the power they have to run the football inside will do them good. Yeah, I agree. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the running backs here because they really returned to 2019 form with 230 yards. Most of that, of course, was not Jackson who only had 54 of it. The 176 was was very evenly spread among the running backs. Uh, it carries Ingram 27, Edwards 20, Dobbins 20. For uh, Sorry, not carries, uh, snaps. And Ricard, for the first time, 
this is courtesy of of uh, Josh Bastico. Thank you, Josh. Had 28 carries and outsnapped each of the three running backs. We believe that's the first time that's happened. Wow. I mean, that's you look at those numbers. I, it, it is surprising. I, I think a lot of us were asking some questions after the game about uh, how the whole thing set up. But uh, what are your thoughts, um, Ken, and, and you know, just with the backs and, and how they use them? I mean, we can talk about each one individually, but I don't know how you have, find a problem with the system as a whole of not having a number one guy and just rotating through these because those Texans, I mean, maybe they didn't want to tackle at the end, but they were also tired. I saw mm-hmm. Cunningham on Dobbins run in particular, which was the last uh, uh, competitive play of the game about right before the three kneels. And uh, he just didn't want to tackle. He didn't, he didn't want to tackle and he didn't want to run after uh, Dobbins in any way. And, and, you know, just, they ran them into submission in that second half. Were you guys um, only two carries though? A little. Um, you know, he he had a he had a great uh, pass on the outside, a screen pass or a, a flare pass where he evaded Cunningham. So he had that. Uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised that his carries were as low as that. I, I am I really bothered by it? Not really. It's it's uh, you know the opportunities will come up as they do. And if you look at the typical division of carries between the three backs, you probably see something like that in a lot of games where maybe Gus Edwards only gets two carries one game. Uh, Dobbins in this game. And maybe that's how it goes in the end. I, I just, when, when they drafted him, I didn't say it would necessarily happen midway through the year, but at some point I thought he would end up being the feature back, uh, that he would end up, that Dobbins would be the guy at some point this season. But I mean, you've got three very versatile guys you can use. And, and it is odd to sit here and look at Gus Edwards because if they wanted to make him the feature back in the system, you know, depending on how many carries that is per game, I think he could do it and be very successful in that type of style. Right. Well, they could, and they did in 2018, you know, to, to win down the stretch. Um, I'm with you on that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think on, on, in terms of Dobbins getting the feature back role is that they really have to plan for a life after Mark Ingram after 2020, because he's going to be an expensive contract. They need a lot of money. They need to find a lot of money for other offensive players and Marlon Humphrey uh, to get them signed. And I think, unfortunately, part of that's going to be going to be a cut of Ingram. Yeah, that's, I mean, it sounds like it's inevitable, even though I know the players love him, the coaching staff loves him, but it's business. Did I just call him Melvin Ingram or, or did I call did I call him Mark Ingram? I heard Mark. Okay, good. Did you call I him did. Melvin? No, I don't know. I got the Chargers on my brain after that ridiculous loss the other night. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see. What else do we have to say about this? Um, I thought that Ingram coming back and playing well in this game was a really nice thing to see. You know, it had, did, definitely did not have a great week one against the Browns, but for him to come back and run well, the the wildcat snap was cool, was really nice in terms of what what I take for portent for the running game for the rest of the year. Plus, he had a phenomenal roundhouse kick to, to celebrate. Yeah. I was wondering what was going on there. But, uh, you know, last year, before they got Mark Ingram, and Scott used to always bring it up, that I said I thought he would be a perfect fit here in Baltimore. And he is. It's just a shame you're getting him at the back end of his career. But he still has, because of splitting time down in New Orleans for all those years, he still has plenty left, I believe. I just think his time's going to run out here because of what they have and just being cost-effective at that position where you're going to have to pay a bunch of other ones. Um, But I I really enjoyed watching him play here. I think a very versatile back, a lot stronger than than what you would think. And – you know, it's, it, it was fun watching them on Sunday kind of get back into it, especially after, like you mentioned, week one, uh, everybody was kind of questioning what, what's going on. there. Yeah, he's fifth, I believe, in 
active carries. Yeah, he's fifth with 1,542 now carries. And there's a big division between him and the guys ahead. LaShawn McCoy is 2,400. So he's 900 ahead, obviously. Uh, Lynch, Peterson, and Gore. All those all those guys headed to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And that's actually the dividing point. I think the guys Ingram and below are not headed to the Hall of Fame. And that's Ingram, Bell, Alfred Morris, Lamar Miller, players like that uh, who, who are just a notch below. I have heard, I saw one thing that, that had Ingram with between, I think, a 10 and 30% chance to the Hall of Fame. But it ain't happening, folks. And, and as much as I, I love what Mark Ingram's done in two years here in Baltimore, uh, sorry to say that's just not going to occur. No, I, I can't see that either. All right. Well, why don't we? This is usually a point of the show where, where you know, guest and I each like talk about an offensive player. And we've talked about some of them, obviously. Uh, just to alternate, make your points about about whoever you like, and I'll kind of respond to that, and then name one of my own. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I want to go back to that wildcat play that you were talking about because I, I loved seeing it. I loved seeing Mark, Mark Ingram in that type of situation, and it was funny because as I was watching Sunday Night Football and Cam Newton at the end of the game, everybody's going, "Well, they got to run the play. They got to run their power because." Cam's nobody can stop it um and then they show it and of course you know with an empty backfield or a running back back there you're you're going to get a run or some goofy gimmick play um I love seeing the Ravens add some of that in even though you know not too much because you're not going to see the ball out of Lamar's hands but they run the ball so well he split out wide and of course you know we saw what the finish was right yeah so did it bother you at all that they did not really consider motion on that final goal line snap for New England. I, I was happy with New England losing, so not bothered by that at all. But it just, you know, you give the defense something else to worry about, and he can still contribute on a power run play if you, yeah. if you use motion. The Ravens, I have this feeling that the Ravens in that same position would have used motion. Yeah, and I just think it makes sense. You know, from, a, from an offensive standpoint, we consider to talk about just blocking, but it's not, you know, taking on your man, blocking him. Of course, you're helping. Everybody else do their job, get open. But when it comes down to motion or even if you're running a route or if they have to respect speed, you're mm-hmm. also doing the same thing by taking the guy out of the play. That motion starts getting people filtering this way if you break it back. Um, I didn't like that in the Cam Newton play that they showed their hand like right off. I mean, you knew what it was, so it's like, okay. And then you saw a couple of guys dive at that play. Actually, Bobby Wagner's the one that blew the whole thing up. Yep. And everybody else was getting credit for it, but he's the one that made the play. Well, whoever whoever was on the right side who both undercut the block and also got, got his arm on Cam's ankle deserves plenty of credit, don't get me wrong. But Bobby Wagner did shut off the backside with that A-gap penetration that uh, that was great. Uh, all right, so I'll tell you, the, the, the player that I saw in the game and I thought, you know, played reasonably well, didn't have a huge amount of impact on the game, Mark Andrews. He, uh, we're going to look at this and, uh, you know, later in the season say he caught one of three balls thrown his way. I thought he really got interfered by McKinney in the end zone. I thought that that would have been called in years past. McKinney never looked back for the football. He was running through the body of Andrews as Andrews was reaching up to try and catch it. It's 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 either face guarding or it's pass interference, but it's some sort of interference there uh, that, that probably should have been called. How many times do we see that? I thought you said play. You said player. So I can, I can give you a player if you want. I guess it cut out on me for a second. But, no, with, I, I agree with you with Mark Andrews because a lot of people were looking at it. They saw him, um, you know, taking his insulin on the sideline or checking his blood levels and uh, was like, oh, was something wrong with him? I just think sometimes the game flows that way. Mm-hmm. And there are things that you're having success with, and that's what I mean when we got to the second half. We saw the Ravens run, run, run a lot more, um, which did take some of that out of it. But um, 
I wanted to talk about Hollywood a little bit because, you know, when we start talking about that tandem, there too, I think Hollywood and, and when you look at what he did this week, we saw a lot more of the underneath stuff. I'd love to see more of that. I want to see him get into open space and what he can actually do. I don't want to see him take some of the, the nasty shots um, that some of the guys can take, but, you know, finding ways to get him in motion, getting the ball in his hands and letting him turn up. Uh, I thought he's had a couple of really nice weeks and just looking forward to seeing how much he grows because those workout videos in the off season were ridiculous. Yeah, that, that was, that was definitely some cool stuff. Put on some significant weight muscle, obviously he's much faster this year. Uh, I love Hollywood's hands. I mean, they're unbelievably good, much better than what I'd anticipated. You know, we actually have some experience with Torrey Smith in this town being a guy who was already maligned before he got to the NFL for having smallish hands, ended up having great hands in the NFL. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I just think some of those guys, too, and we're seeing a lot more of them around the leagues. I mean, like Ruggs is that type of size player. You always get the comparisons of Deshaun Jackson, and you, you see a lot of those guys that teams are using now. And, and the reason I think you compare them to them is because it's not your just prototypical slot receiver. I think if, you know, if he's good enough to get off the line, you can work him, put him in motion. But if he's good enough to get off the line, you can work him outside, and he can really become a weapon. Right. So if you're not in favor of Hollywood taking some of those big hits, how did you feel about the jet motion uh, toss to him that went for, I don't know, it might have been minus three? Yeah. I mean, I, that's going to be on – that's unavoidable, right, with uh, him taking hits if you're going to use him in the running game. I mean, he might be able to sweep and get outside and or break a long one and then, you know, like get out of bounds or something. But I, I think it's inevitable. I didn't like the way that play broke down because it looked pretty ugly from the start. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, let me, I'll take another player. I will take Miles Boykin. And I'm loving the way he's getting multiple consecutive targets now because that really means he's more of a Lamar trust target as opposed to a scripted play target. So they had a couple throws to Duvernay in, in the first two weeks that I think were both scripted plays. And, and I, I think, you know, basically they were called off a sheet. The ball was basically going to Duvernay as a primary in both cases. And I, I don't think that there was ever a, a, a different intention. Well, they've done that for Boykin, in particular in the preseason, they've done it a lot. But I'm loving the fact that Boykin's coming back on some of the extended plays and being the receiver. Yeah, I, I like seeing some of the slants and different routes that they've had him run. Um, you know, when you talk about a bigger receiver like that, the one thing that I'm going to question as he starts to grow is about his route running. Because I think, you know, he's got a big body. You, you give him a little window. You see what uh, – maybe it's a bad example. You see what a guy like Mike Evans can do um, who might be a little bigger bodied and, and how he can turn around. I don't know how they're going to eventually use Miles Boykin if he grows into that type of player. But um, I, I like seeing him involved in the offense because I think a lot of people were like, well, he's going to be the odd man out now. They drafted these two wide receivers and you know, you're bringing back Willie Sneed. No, I mean, he, there's a place for him definitely on this team with what he brings to the table. Yeah, he had, the, he had the most snaps at wide receiver in, in week one. I didn't check it in week two to see if, if that were the case. But uh, they need him for blocking. I mean, he's such a good run blocker that they, they really want him on the field for that, even if he's not going to be a receiver. But it's nice to see him get targets as well. How about your turn? Who, who would you like to talk about after this? Anybody else? What did you think of Patrick Ricard? Um, you know, he, he had the nice little catch down there, and he's just kind of a do-it-all. Look, in a, in a blue-collar town, blue-collar city, you have to eat this up and love what Patrick Ricard. I mean, he brings his lunch pail and just goes to work. Yeah, obviously, it's it's really nice to get to see a guy get paid off. There's an interaction between two lunch pail guys 
that are not getting exactly the same credit. And the other is Boyle. And yeah. so Boyle on the play before the one-yard touchdown pass to Ricard caught like an 11-yard pass. And for the nth time, he couldn't quite get in the end zone. And, you know, he's, he's had a real problem scoring touchdowns, but he's gotten the Ravens close a number of times. And then they throw the little one-yard pass to Ricard. And he pops up. <laughs> it was a really good catch. But he popped up then and got in the end zone. Pretty easy kind of a route for a touchdown. And and Boyle's got to, just got to be so upset about that. So. Yeah, I mean, Boyle had that streak forever where he didn't get in the end zone. And, you know, everybody used to bring it up to him all the time. But uh, he had a play in the game, too, that I thought was pretty funny. And I, I'm not sure if it was just a run by Lamar where he didn't pick up much or if it was an actual sack. But he turned around. He looked at him like, I thought you were going to go this way. And you went that way as he was blocking because his guy made the tackle. And that's not something we're accustomed to seeing. Nick Boyle doesn't miss blocks. He's no, probably yeah. the best blocking tight end in the league. Yeah, that's that's true. And they have him on the field for as much as they have any of their skill position players. 51 snaps this last week. And by the way, Boykin was second with 48. So he did lead the receivers uh, with 74% of snaps played in this game. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Ricard is one of those players you just uh, you, you got to love. Uh, the only other guy that, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier, Devin Duvernay, I really want to see more of him in the offense. They've obviously used him in a scripted manner so far, and he's just played a handful of snaps. I think he might've had about 10 snaps or uh, the first game and he had six this game. Um, that's not enough for me. (laughs) I'd like to see more. We didn't see Prochet at all in this game, but, uh, but it's really Duvernay that I want to see more on the field at this point. Yeah. I I want to see what he brings to the table. I mean, look, you have Willie Sneed there. They've got different sets. Um, when you look at all, you know, all the different things that they can do, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever type of personnel, I don't need to sit here and list all the numbers. They've got options, and I think they can do it all well. But um, I'm interested in these young guys because, you know, for years everybody's talked about the Ravens not being able to draft a wide receiver, which I get it. It's not the easiest thing, but it always depends on where you're drafting. I think they've developed a couple, but not that Julio Jones type or Devontae Adams. They haven't got that yet unless, you know, Hollywood becomes that. Yeah, it's, I'm got to be very encouraged, though, by the four wide receiver DaCosta picks so far in terms of their development. Prochet is the only one who really hasn't got on the field yet to make a catch. Um, but but otherwise, they, they all look pretty good in, in their period to date. Uh, why don't we move along here and, and do some mailbag? Josh, what do we have uh, in the mailbag today? All right. Again, we should start doing the mailbags at the top because you guys steal all the mailbag questions by the time we're an hour <laughs> in. So the mailbag is where you can get your questions in using the hashtag film study mailbag or commenting over at filmstudybaltimore.com. Um, all right, let's first let's start with Adam's question. He was wondering if bringing in an extra block and tight end would help the right-handed run game. Okay, great question. So the the they did get an extra blocking tight end today, Colkin or uh, whatever the guy's name was. I missed the exact name. They the guy they signed they signed to the practice squad. By the way, Jeremy, have you heard? Did they elevate anybody to the fifty three with the IR move for Tavon yet? I didn't hear a corresponding move yet. Um, I can find out. Yeah, I, I didn't either, and that makes me believe that something might be going on. So I, I think their, their waiver claims had to be in. So if they're going to take somebody else from a practice squad to replace him, it wouldn't be that. But they may be still be considering whether they street-free agent, a trade, or either elevate Bonds or Khalil Dorsey in that spot might be the right move. Or even Nigel Warrior could come up, I guess, and and uh, and they could make other uh, decisions about who's going to play the slot, slot role. 
But, but the answer to answer Adam's question, <laughs> yes, an extra right, an extra big blocking tight end would definitely help. Um, you know, I'm a little bit with Boyle already. The next blocking tight end has to have more quickness with still some blocking ability, kind of like James Hurst was, because I think the value comes in putting him in the backfield and getting him out to level two or three from there, where he can make a block on a safety or a corner better than a uh, lineman or a fullback can. I think you gain a big advantage if you have a wide receiver who can do that specifically. All right. You mentioned already you were talking about Mark Andrews and getting less snaps. Um, is this something that you think was just rare on Sunday, or do you think it's something because the Ravens had to lead the whole time? They didn't need him. I, I'll start, but you know, Jeremy, you had some good observations about the about the uh, insulin pump. Third, 38 snaps on offense is 58% of the snaps. He had 41% all of last year, tying uh, Hurst exactly in terms of number of snaps. I'm not overly concerned about that number. That seems just fine to me. Yeah, I, I didn't have an issue with the number either. I mean, there were people talking on social media about him checking his blood sugar level, um, which is common for someone that's type one diabetes. But uh, and they're you know the, the the big conversation was was something wrong? Was he you know was he lightheaded? Did he? Yeah, no, I, we're not privy to any of that. I think what was wrong is there was no fans in the stadium, so they had to <laughs> chose something. And he's probably always doing that on the sideline. And you're probably right. That that's going back to. You know, when people would say, uh, does, does Flacco ever look at this? Or, you know, I've never seen them do that on the sideline. It's like, yeah, they do. They do it all the time. Yeah, but before we move on to that, did you ever get a good explanation, maybe from a medical guest or something, about why a type 2 diabetic has extreme coronavirus risk, but a type 1 diabetic, for some reason, is not an opt-out uh, guarantee or an opt-out uh, qualification? I didn't, know. I mean, we, we talked to – look, in the <laughs> – in the downtimes with the coronavirus hitting and no sports going on, I think we've pretty much covered everything. But uh, we had different doctors on, but we ne- we never got into that specifically. Huh. Okay, I always interested me. But anyway, according to Google, type two causes more major health complications, even though it's milder. Interesting. All right, but let's move on to football because we're better at that than doctors. <laughs> so next question is, do you think the Ravens are trying to basically be the same offense as last year, or what type of offense do you think they're trying to be this year? It's hard to judge on two blowout victories, but yeah, what do you I, think they're doing? The one thing I pull from these two victories is they really took what the opponents gave them. Cleveland stacked the box. They said, you know, pass to beat me, and Lamar did exactly that. They, the, the Texans were not up to the challenge physically, wore down as a game more uh, – went on and the Ravens matched up very well with their power uh, uh, running and their zone reads. Uh, it just, it, it's worked out both weeks so far in terms of playing to the opponent's weakness. Yeah. I, I don't know that how much difference they're going to get. I'm curious how much, you know, are, are we going to get into each game and play it, you know, game by game on how they're going to attack a team, depending on what they give them, or are they just going to come in and say, here's what we're doing. Stop us if you can. Um, and, to your point, Ken, they've been doing exactly that with, uh, you know, I'm looking at it going, man, I thought they'd run a little bit more here against the Browns, but they just dominated the game. It really didn't matter. Um, we saw them just throwing it quite a bit more. And last week, again, a tale of two halves where throwing it more in the first half, running a little bit more in the second. Um, and part of that may be that you had the lead and you started to pull away, but uh, I thought they were very efficient. I- I'm just wondering how much more, you know, I don't want to say gimmicky. It's the wrong word that we see Lamar dropping back and just kind of assessing the field and, and slinging it. Uh, and that, like, 
Do we see him get into a sugar huddle at some point, uh, a muddle huddle or something like that? I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to progress into that at some point. Yeah, we, we've talked a little bit about that on this show, but particularly with no fans, it's certainly an option to run the no huddle. But one of the things also is that Roman seems to really like switching in and out fresh legs. And I mean, just look at this game in terms of the running backs, it really worked. But even in terms of wide receivers with nobody playing over 74% of the snaps, they're, they're doing a good job of keeping fresh legs on the field. And that's one of two ways with the no huddle being the other to really tire defenses. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'd like to see a little bit of it, but they've, they've done a great job. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying for what the guy's asking, could we see a little bit more of that? Maybe that's a possibility. All right, and speaking of attack, Jalen points out that he feels the opening drive is key, and I'm sure that's in reference to the Ravens always needing to be ahead of the game. So would coming out passing and then go heavy with the run game be a good strategy? I guess it was in this game. <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the, the Texans certainly gave up some big plays in the passing game early on, and then they really started to get worn down and, and, uh, and get beaten by the run. I think there are a lot of teams that are similar to the Texans that are on the Ravens' schedule. The Browns, in particular, are very heavy on both the offensive and defensive lines. That's where they spent a lot of money and draft capital, and I think that's where they're good. I, other teams, um, you know, they've spent more at other positions. Yeah, and, you know, I, when it comes down to, I guess, Monday night when they, they face the Chiefs, um, you know, I, I, want them to, I want them to be balanced, to be honest with you, and, and attack when you can because I think they'll have opportunities to get down the field uh, with some of the matchups that they have. Um, I don't. I think Kansas City. I'm not telling you they're going to have that Super Bowl hangover this year. Clearly, these are the two best teams. But I really like the Ravens come Monday night. So minus three and a half. You like the Ravens too, or do you like them on, on a money line wager? I so I would prefer the money line. Um, okay. But I, I have a weird hunch that they're going to come out and it's going to be a bit of a statement game. Whether that means they win by a touchdown, double digits, or whatever. Uh, I really like them at three. That hook is always scary because, you know, games can always come down to that. You could be up 10 and give up that backdoor touchdown um, and then win by three and you, know, you lose by the hook. Well, they, According to the, the international lines here, it looks like the Ravens are shortening at most books, but, but one UK book still has it at 156. So if you want to bet bet a dollar, you get 56, 56 cent return on your money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is the uh, three point spread simply because of home field? Well, and before, that's a question. <laughs> well, before this week, I guess you could say that because the way that they look at it is, um, you know, on a neutral field, so that's what three points is. They said on a, on an like if it were a neutral field, you take off those three points, you move it to your home field three. So if they were playing in Kansas City, that means Kansas City would be minus three if you want to go by that kind of rule of thumb or math. But um, yeah, I think so. But I also think the Ravens have been more dominant the first two weeks. Like, I mean, Kansas City looked great on that Thursday night. Uh, some of that might be public perception, but typically they don't want to come off the three. That's why I was shocked initially. There must be some sharp money coming in to move it to three and a half because that's not public money right off the bat. Right. I, I always say that the the aggregate line is count of dollars weighted and not count of idiots weighted. <laughs> so that sharp that sharp money ends up being the being the thing yeah. that interests. All right, and you mentioned earlier about Devin uh, Duvernay and his speed. Do you think Monday could be a coming-out game for him now that they've hit him a couple times? Love to see it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to see how it plays out. I, I wouldn't sit here and if you wanted me to bet that, I wouldn't be betting on it being a, a coming-out party, but we've seen stranger things happen. I do think this is going to be one of those games where 
we are going to see a ton of Hollywood and a ton of Mark Andrews and then filter off of that to everyone else with the running game included. Okay, so let's let's talk about that for specifically for a second. Eleven to make ten line, you can bet either way. What's your what's your over under on Duvernay's yards receiving versus Kansas City on Monday? Ooh, I mean, I would put him at somewhere like I'd be willing to bet you somewhere around like twenty seven yards. Okay, catches something like something like that. Um, if you were going to do an over under form, I, I'd have to see it because the Ravens to me are the hardest team to kind of handicap. From a, if you want to look at it from a total standpoint in the game, or if you want to look at it from a side, because the the style of play they have, they can eat up an entire quarter and punch it in with a touchdown and just destroy mm-hmm. you either way. They can score quickly, and then the totals like it's just. And each game, there, there's no real math, at least in my mind, to put it together to say like this is an absolute when it comes to them because they're doing different things. They're going for it on fourth down. Um, you know, they'll come out and just keep running the football and just moving the chains and the, eating up the clock or you'll see these big plays and, and they score on defense too. So it's, mm-hmm. it's really, really difficult to, to handicap this team. Yeah. Well, and that's also the tough part when you look at, when you look at the over under for the week at 53 point, points. I, I think it's perfect. I think the number that when I saw 53, I'm like, man, I, I, cause I'm typically a guy that I look for a reason to bet an under because a fan wants to bet, you know, your average Joe blow wants to bet the over and wants to bet right. the favorite because it, it's easy to root for him to score, and it's easy to realize, hey, this team is seven points better than this team. Um, but I always try to find a reason that the underdog could cover. And when I saw the line at 53 and at 53 and a half, I went, it's it's just the perfect number for this week that it scares me that I won't even touch that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, The Ravens now, uh, there was a graphic that came up late in the game. Uh, that basically said that the Ravens had the longest of the modern streaks in terms of consecutive games without trailing in the second half. Do you happen to see that? I you know, no, I did see that because they yeah. started going over um, one regular season, really games. old, right? Wasn't yeah, yeah. So, so the two teams they've now done thirteen in a row, and the two teams ahead of them are the Akron Pros, who did it nineteen twenty and twenty one, played nineteen consecutive games without trailing in the second half. And the 29 to 30 Packers who went 18 in a row. But here's the trick. Those teams, the Akron Pros, went 15-0-4 during that time. By the way, the Akron Pros in 1920, okay, just to go back to the very first year of the quote-unquote professional football, um, were outscored their opponents 151-7 to in an 11-game season. What record would you estimate that that would lead to? Um. Less the least amount of points given up in a season. <laughs> yeah, they get they, well. Yeah, I mean eleven. Right. So, so anyway, one hundred fifty-one to seven. I would have thought they would have won all eleven games. Is the point? Oh yeah, no, no. They, exactly. they finished eight zero and three. <laughs> so they they had two zero zero ties, one seven to seven tie, and and you know that's the thing is is both of these teams had their streaks broken up by ties, and the Ravens with their thirteen games in a row, no one has ever won thirteen consecutive regular season games previously. Uh, with never trailing in the second half. Crazy. I mean, those statistics, it's just amazing watching what they're doing. And, and I, I said this on the post-game show, going back to when uh, John Harbaugh was like, yeah, we're going to revolutionize offense. And I'm going, yeah, whatever, man. And then <laughs> now you see them coming in and what they're doing. It's, I mean, it's historic. All right. Well, that takes care of the mailbag. Again, get your questions in. Hashtag film study mailbag. Uh, Next episode, we'll be looking ahead to Monday night. So get your questions in about the Chiefs. All right. Uh, Jeremy, 
can you uh, plug your Twitter? And I know you're on the radio generally every night with the lowdown. Yeah. So uh, it's Jeremy Khan 1057. Um, that's my Twitter handle. And so what's going to happen with me being at nights is my show's typically six to nine, but our uh, 105.7 The Fan carries the NFL games uh, outside of this Monday night because uh, obviously we don't have the rights to the Ravens. But every Monday night football game, um, I'll be going to about 7.30. Every Thursday night football game, I'll go to about 7.30. And you'll hear me on my full show Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Fridays starting next week. All right. That's terrific, Jeremy. Really, it's always quality stuff. You have a great following in this town. You know, there's a lot of people who some people like and some people don't are on the radio. I've never heard anybody say anything bad about you, my friend. Well, you haven't met my family then. Right. You've had a really good PR person in the past few years. It's really been helping get your name out there. Um, I can new article up on filmstudybaltimore.com. Complete with the Reddit share button that you requested. Thank you. That's great. I really appreciate that's going to make it easier. But with the defensive articles out there, the offensive line article will be out there tomorrow with some of the stuff we talked about here today. Um, And we have three more podcasts this week, actually two more podcasts this week and one special. But we have Know Your Foe tomorrow uh, with a Chiefs expert, Seth Kaiser, coming on. We have a uh, By the Numbers episode with – Dan Reese that I think will be terrific. And then we have another Dan Reese uh, by the numbers episode before the Monday game against Kansas city right. next week. A Monday morning. All right. Um, okay. Well that does it. And you can please help out the show by going on over to iTunes, review the show, share the podcast, share the articles on all your social media that helps us grow and find new listeners uh, this football season. Josh, talk a little bit about 336 before we go off the air now. What are you guys' plans for the offseason? We will talk a little Ravens as fans. We won't go into the detail that goes in on this show. And then we can't help as brothers but to constantly go back to the Orioles talk. So before we did a podcast, all we did was talk Orioles. Now it's just that we record it. So it'll continue during the offseason because the Orioles are at least – on the upswing. So new episode there uh, came out yesterday talking about what we enjoyed this past season and what can carry into next season to be a bunch of fun over there. All right. All right. Well, we will talk soon. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget 
home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.